With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, you guys? I'm Andrea, and you're listening to Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Um, happy November. Happy fall or happy spring, I guess, if you are on the other side of the planet. As you can tell, today's episode is just going to be me. Haley had a bit of a family situation that she had to take care of, so she's not going to be able to record with me today, but that is okay. We will push through it, <laughs> and she will be back on Monday with a brand new case for you guys. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you the harrowing story of Alicia Kozakevich. And before we get started, I do want to give a content warning for physical and sexual abuse of a minor. Um, I'll try to give you a little warning beforehand so you can can skip ahead if you need to. And I also just want to take this this moment, this opportunity to just share with parents that have teens and like young children, even elementary, middle school age children, because I feel like this is becoming a problem with even the younger generation. Um, you know, just just be aware of what your children are doing online. I know that we want to give our children privacy. We want to respect their boundaries. But when it comes to their safety, there should be no boundaries. And just be aware of what your kids are doing. If they have phones, you know, there are lots of different apps and features where you can monitor what they're doing that, you know, you can limit interaction, limit time, all of the things, um, you know, just just being aware of what your children are doing online, because it is a very scary place out there. And I can say like, for myself, Growing up in the age of the internet, you know, blowing up and chat rooms blowing up, um, I was a victim of catfishing and I was a victim of a predator. And I was 13 years old and I was talking to someone who I thought was 15 years old and come to find out he was a 23 year old man. And I foolishly shared information with him that I should not have shared. And my situation could have turned out a lot differently for me. And I'm very thankful and very blessed 
that it did not. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because people online can have any persona that they wish and they can become very trusting, especially for an underdeveloped teenage and young adult (laughs) and adolescent mind. So anyone can be a victim of this. And I'm sure most of us know what's out there, but Just be vigilant and, you know, we're all just learning as we go and trying to do the best we can as parents. And I just think monitoring your kids while they're online is just so vital and so important. So this is just a a friendly reminder, you know, to stay on top of things and be vigilant when it comes to your child's online safety. On January 4th, 2002, at 3.30 p.m., the FBI stormed the home of 38-year-old Scott William Tyree in Herndon, Virginia. Inside, shackled to the floor of his basement by her neck, was 13-year-old Alicia Kozakevich. Alicia had been kidnapped and held captive for the last four days. Alicia was born on March 23, 1988 in Crafton Heights, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, to Charles and Mary Kozakevich. Mary was a stay-at-home mom to both Alicia and her older brother Chuck, and their father Charles worked in car sales. Alicia and her family have always been very tight-knit, and from all accounts, they seem to have a lot of fun with one another. Alicia was a happy kid. She went to Carlton Junior Senior High School, and she did well in school. She had friends. She was social, and she loved playing games online. So in 2002, this was sort of a new phenomenon, online gaming and chatting. And when Alicia's parents bought a family computer for their home, they assumed, like many parents back then, It was a wonderful, exciting gift for their children. And they kept their their computer in their living room so they could kind of monitor what the children were doing. But teens will be teens. And I know I can speak from experience. I would sneak on in the middle of the night and chat with my friends and chat rooms. And that's exactly what Alicia did. Like many teens in the early 2000s, she quickly created a screen name and began using the Yahoo messaging service. At first, Alicia really only chatted with her real-life friends online, and they would talk for hours and hours about all sorts of things. But soon, she began expanding her friendships. So if you guys grew up in that era, you know that you would meet a friend, And then that friend would introduce you to another friend. And then that friend would introduce you to another friend. And before you know it, you're talking to about 10 different people that you have no idea who they are, what they look like, where they're from, aside from what they're telling you. And it really is like a normal thing nowadays where you chat and meet people online. But I think nowadays it's a lot easier to fish out the fakes. Um, But unfortunately, in 2002, it was a lot more difficult. Alicia soon met a boy in a chat room, and they quickly formed a special connection. 
So this boy, who claimed to be Alicia's age, would listen to all her problems. He would comfort her and tell her how special she was. And he even professed to like the same boy bands that she liked. And Alicia thought he was like the coolest boy ever. After nearly a year of chatting online, basically every day, Alicia decided she would meet up with him. She knew stranger danger. Her parents had taught her well, but this boy was her friend. They had talked all the time and they knew each other so well. So what was the harm in that? On New Year's Day, 2002, Alicia and her family celebrated by having a big Polish mill, which included pork and sauerkraut, which was a tradition for their family. I feel like a lot of families have, especially probably more so in the United States. I'm not sure about other countries, but, you know, on New Year's Day, you eat certain foods that kind of are supposed to bring you like health, wealth, luck, etc. I know that my family always eats a special meal on New Year's Day and I grew up eating the same stuff on New Year's Day and it does become like a little family tradition. So Alicia, along with her parents, her brother Chuck, Chuck's girlfriend and her grandmother all sat around the table enjoying the special time together. At some point after dinner, Alicia excused herself claiming that her stomach was hurting and she wanted to go lie down. But instead, Alicia snuck out the front door of her family home to go meet this boy, whom she thought was her friend. However, when she walked down the block to meet him, she quickly discovered that this was not the boy she had been talking to for months. It was a man she did not recognize. By this point, it was too late. The man was forcing her into his car. Alicia later recalled how the man sped down her street and away from her home. And she thought to herself, maybe he's driving around the block or maybe he's driving to the next neighborhood over. Sadly, that was not the case. During the car ride, the man held onto and squeezed Alicia's hand so tightly that she thought it could have broken. And he warned her continuously, saying she better be quiet and she better be good. After about five hours of driving, they arrived to the man's home. The man took Alicia out of his car and dragged her inside, down the stairs, into his basement. Once they were in the basement, there was a door with a padlock on it, and he took Alicia through that door into a room. The walls in the room were covered with these contraptions and devices. And, you know, Alicia is a 13-year-old girl. She has no idea what those things were. She had no clue. And I'm sure you guys can, can imagine the horrors that was that was to come and just a you know if you want to skip ahead now is a good time to do so he then removed alicia's clothing and placed a locking dog collar around her neck then he took alicia upstairs to his bedroom and raped her afterwards he chained alicia to the floor by the dog collar next to his bed 
For the next four days, Alicia endured the unthinkable. This man raped and tortured Alicia repeatedly, some of it which he recorded and streamed online for others to watch. While this horror was taking place, Alicia's family quickly learned that she had gone missing and filed a report with police. Soon, Alicia's face was plastered over every news media outlet in the country. That Thursday, January 3rd, at 8.30 p.m., a man who wished to remain anonymous contacted the FBI in Tampa, Florida, saying that he had information about the 13-year-old girl missing from Pittsburgh. He told agents that for nine months, he had communicated via the internet with a man he knew as Scott from Virginia. Scott had told him he was going to Pittsburgh to pick up a girl and take her back to his home to make her his sex slave. He said Scott showed him the girl over a computer webcast camera, but claimed in the video Alicia was not restrained. He also claimed Alicia looked older and that he did not know she was 13, but authorities believed he likely knew that she was young. After witnessing what he believed to be Alicia, because he had seen her face in the media, he, he looked up her name and her face to confirm that that was the same girl. And then he called and reported what he had seen. And it's believed, and this is speculatory, <laughs> but it's believed that he probably did this in fear of being an accessory to her abduction and abuse because your IP address is traceable. And if you're watching or partaking in child pornography, they can link it back to you from your IP address. And I know like pedophiles online have gotten smart and they can block their IP address or have it scramble it or whatever it is that they do, but they can still find you. The FBI, they've got their ways and they can still find you. According to FBI spokesman Bill Crawley, the FBI then had to backtrack through Alicia's life on her computer to try and find any leads they could. So they knew they had a connection with someone that she had been talking to. They just had to find out who it was and where he was at. They knew that every minute counted and that they were dealing with a life or death situation. Thankfully, they were easily able to track down Alicia's location using the screen name and the IP address of Tyree. Less than an hour after they located Alicia, they arrested Tyree at his workplace in Herndon, Virginia. After Alicia was rescued, police continued their search of Tyree's home. They found materials related to bondage like whips, pulleys, clamps, and paddles as well as other sadomasochistic materials. The FBI removed several computers and other equipment from his townhome. Alicia was taken to a Fairfax hospital where she was thoroughly examined and thankfully had no life-threatening injuries. 
And soon after, she was released into the custody of the Fairfax County Child Protective Services while she waited for her parents to arrive to Virginia. Charles and Mary were unable to fly commercially because of the national media coverage their daughter's case had, so the FBI flew them privately from Pittsburgh to Virginia the following day. Investigators learned that Tyree, who worked at a software engineering firm, was previously married and had a 12-year-old daughter with his ex-wife, Sarah Tyree. So this maggot of a person had a daughter that was one year younger than the girl that he abducted, raped, and abused. Not only that, but the same day that he kidnapped Alicia, his daughter had just flown back to her home in California where her mother, who had primary custody of her, lived. So according to Sarah, the mother, their daughter had been visiting Tyree in Virginia and had been there for the entire month of December during winter break from school. When asked if she had any knowledge or insight into her ex-husband's perverse exploits, she stated, quote, I'm utterly and completely shocked because everyone that knew him thought that he was this long-haired computer nerd, harmless, smart, you know, whatever, but he had a pretty seedy alternate personality, if you will, that he kept pretty well hidden. Tyree, who was 40 when his, his trial began, pled guilty to travel with intent to engage in sex with a minor and sexual exploitation of a minor. Accepted responsibility for his crimes. Well, duh, because you've been caught. Of course you did. <laughs> During the trial, he expressed his sorrow to Alicia and her family who were in the courtroom, and he admitted he needed help. On September 27th, 2003, Senior U.S. District Court Judge William Standish sentenced Tyree to 19 years and seven months in prison. Additionally, he recommended that Tyree participate in a treatment program for sex offenders. Judge Standish further ordered that when Tyree is released from prison, he will be supervised for a minimum of three years and will be restricted from contact with children, the use of computers, and possession of pornography. In 2019, Tyree was released from prison and sent to live in a halfway house near Pittsburgh. There were many protests due to the location of his release, as many people felt he was way too close to Alicia and her family. Before they were able to relocate him back to Fairfax, Virginia, he was sent back to prison for two years for violating the terms of his probation. According to reports, he tried to use computers at the halfway house where he was staying and at the school he was attending to access pornography. So that was a violation of his, report, his parole and he was sent back to prison. According to reports, he has since been released after serving his time. 
Unfortunately, due to all that she endured, Alicia suffered from memory loss and was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. On top of that, she faced a lot of ridicule from people claiming they did not understand how this happened. How could she have been groomed? And, of course, there was victim blaming and victim shaming, which is completely unacceptable. This girl was 13 years old being groomed by a grown man. And I get it. 2002, you know, people are not as privy to online grooming as they are now. I feel like nowadays people would not even think to say something so disgusting to a child. But unfortunately, that is what she was faced with. But thankfully, with the help of counseling, she was finally able to start her healing journey. Alicia refused to let her traumatic experience define her, and she decided to take charge of her life by sharing her story. At just 14 years old, Alicia started the Alicia Project. Through this, she uses age-appropriate but never sugar-coated messages to educate families and children of all ages about internet safety. Alicia's audiences have included communities, corporations, law enforcement, as well as social and governmental agencies. Alicia has been present at corporations such as J.P. Morgan, FedEx, Mayo Clinic, among others, providing both employee motivation and awareness. Alicia has traveled to Canada and Australia to share her story and inspirational message. She regularly works with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, sharing posts and highlights on her Instagram to spread the word about open cases. In 2008, Alicia and her parents, Charles and Mary, created Alicia's Law, which helps to establish dedicated, reliable funds to enable internet crime investigators to follow the trail of child pornography traffic back through the internet, right to the door of children in need of protection, often in their own homes. Sadly, Alicia's Law has only been passed in 11 states, which is a great start. But Alicia hopes and continues to advocate for its passage in all 50 states. Alicia went on to earn a bachelor's degree in psychology at Point Park University. Then in 2016, she graduated from Chicago School of Professional Psychology with a master's degree in forensic psychology. She went on to create and co-create several documentaries, including the multiple award-winning PBS film, Alicia's, Alicia's Message, I'm Here to Save Your Life, and Enough is Enough, as well as the Emmy award-winning Alicia Story. She has been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Dr. Phil, Fox and Friends, Good Morning America, Anderson Live. Investigation Discovery, The CW, ABC, BBC, A&E, CNN, MSNBC, and many others, as well as international publications such as People Magazine and Cosmopolitan. 
She also went on to share her testimony in front of Congress, and I do want to share a little bit of that with you guys right now. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. My name is Alicia Kozakevich. A Pittsburgh resident, I am 19 years old and a sophomore in college. And for the benefit of those of you who don't know, don't remember those headlines, I am that 13-year-old girl who was lured by an internet predator, transported across state lines to Virginia, in fact, not so very far from here, and enslaved by a sadistic pedophile monster. The authorities told my parents that the odds were a million to one against my recovery. But I was the exception. I got the miracle. I was rescued. So why me? Because I was blessed by the simple fact that I live in Pittsburgh, where one of the very best cybercrime task forces was created. And because I was enslaved in Virginia, where one of the best Internet Crimes Against Children task force, or ICATS, exists. Because they had the training, the knowledge, and the expertise to find that needle in the haystack. That was a lost little girl. That was me. Because they had the cooperation of another fine ICAC team here in Virginia. Because they were there. I am here. They are the only reason that I am here in front of you today. But I want you to know that I am not up here alone. Beside me, there are so many young girls whose stories will never be heard because they are dead, possibly enslaved, or just too terrified to speak out. When I speak, what I say is for all of us who exist in pain and fear and sometimes even shame, and for those of us who have been silenced by the grave. So I guess you need to know how it happened and why I let it happen to me. I want you to stop thinking that right now. As one young girl said, just because someone leaves without a struggle doesn't mean that they left willingly. It's been five years, and I've just begun to answer that question myself. I know that many of you perceive that those of us who have been lured via the Internet as being the stereotypical troubled wild, wild child. Drugs, broken families, searching for love you can't find at home. Nothing could be further from the truth. Many of us were the shy children, the wallflowers, not necessarily the geeks or the freaks, just not the partiers. And sometimes, as in my case, those that were very shy. The internet provides a type of anonymity that allows the timid child to miraculously transform themselves. They are suddenly able to act, act without the fears that have constricted their daily lives. Take myself, for example. I was 13. I was a good student. I had a few good friends. I had the most wonderful, loving, and supportive family a child could ever ask for. And yet, at 13, we change. We question everything, especially ourselves. I was that typical bored, shy, and lonely child, just looking for something to do. In the beginning, I chatted for months with Christine, a beautiful red-haired 14-year-old girl who just understood me all too well. We became the very best of friends, and we shared all of our thoughts, all of our intimate girlhood secrets. There was nothing that she didn't know about me, and we traded our school pictures. Too bad that hers were fake. Yeah, Christine was really a middle-aged pervert named John. And he had lots of practice at his little masquerade because he had it all down. The abbreviations, the music, the slang, the clothes. He knew it all. 
I never had a chance. Because these perverts, they congregate on the net. They pass their little girlfriends around to each other, and they share technique, and they boast of their conquests. John slash Christine was to introduce me to a great friend of hers. This man was to be my abductor, my torturer, and he was my dearest friend. My relationship online with Tyree grew slowly, over a period of about six months. He was courteous and interesting and subtle. He was thoughtful and gentle and nice, and of course, entirely deceptive. And so we became friends, slowly and perceptibly. He led me into more intimate conversation. I never even realized that our chats had become more intimate. So we just talked about everything, not just about sex. He was interested in me as a person, my thoughts, my goals, my relationship with friends and family members. He gave me adult advice and always took my side. And that was just what I needed. And my family and I were very close. But we didn't always see eye to eye about everything. Sometimes they just seemed to still think that I was still a child. But there was always my secret special friend, and I could count on him to see things my way. He was my confidant, and I wanted to tell him personal things, or parrot those things that he wanted to hear from me, whatever gibberish they were. And so I did, always online, always ready to talk, always on my side. It was the most comforting thing imaginable. And soon I felt an obligation to return this time, to always be there for him to the exclusion of everything else. He became that someone I believed I needed, the only one I could depend on to understand the real me. He had separated me from my support structures. I was alone. Somehow in this process of grooming me, he had changed me, had destroyed my ability to reason. Today, I think, how could it have happened? Where was my reason? Where was my sanity? That girl who walked out into the coldest, iciest night of the year to meet the madman, that wasn't me. And yet, somehow it was. He took me apart and put me back together, and bit by bit, day by day, bite by bite. I walked out the front door and found that the boogeyman is real, and he lives on the web. I know, I met him on the evening of January 1st, 2002. He came for a 13-year-old girl, for a sex slave. He came for me. Let me share these next words with you. I think they may be what you need to know, to understand. Imagine, it's below zero as you mate your coatless way out the front door to meet this madman that you think is your friend. Maybe at this point you are afraid. Maybe there's something wrong here, but you can't stop yourself. So maybe you'll think game's over when you get to the bottom of your driveway and you'll stand there shivering, cowering behind a bush in the lonely dark night as the falling crystals sting your face, just curious to see if he'll really show up. You're not really going to leave with him. Probably you won't even reveal yourself to him. But he is your friend, your best friend. Maybe you'll just be polite and say hi. But then, somehow, wait a minute, you don't remember walking over to the car, do you? And yet, suddenly, you're in the car, terrified, and he's grabbing onto your hand and crushing it, and you cry out, but there's no one to hear. And you know, this is not your friend. It's some crazy fat pervert who threatens to put you in the trunk if you make another noise. Give him any trouble. So you stay quiet, real quiet. And somehow you survive the long, terrifying ride to the unknown. 
each moment taking you further away from your home, from everyone who loves you, who might have saved you, you realize that you're about to die horribly. And you know on some level that there's only you now. You are totally alone, and you know that if you want to live, he has to believe that you'll do any for, anything for him. And you decide that you will, that you're going to survive this, no matter what it takes. So you try to memorize road signs, but nothing registers. You can't concentrate past the blinding fear. And then, hours later, eternity la eternities later, you arrive. He opens the door, warning you yet again, and his fat, sweaty hand holds tightly, squeezing your arm as you stumble through his door, through the house, and down, down into his basement, his disgusting dungeon. Cold, dark walls filled with nasty sex toys and a cage. Over the next days, he will use many of them on you. In between the beatings and the raping, he will hang you by your arms while beating you, and he will share his prized pictures with his friends over the Internet. He will attach clamps to your body, and he will use them to send bolts of electricity through your body. He will beat and overpower you and crush you as he violates every inch of your 90-pound body. When he is finished with his fun, he will place a collar around your neck and attach a huge, heavy chain to prevent your escape. And you know he will kill you if he even thinks you want to leave. So you wait, and you pray. And in your fevered dreams, you begin to see that cold, shallow grave waiting for your little lifeless body. And you cry silently, Mommy, Daddy, I'm here. Please find me. The last morning as he left for the office, he grabbed my face, and looking deep into my eyes, he said, I think I'm getting to like you a little too much. When I come home, we're going for a ride. This was the first day that he had fed me. My last meal, I thought. And I knew that I would die today. I lay there, crying, holding his kitten, my tears wetting her fur, waiting for death, when I suddenly heard the loudest crash. Voices screaming, we have guns, we have guns, and dragging the heavy, heavy chain behind me as I huddled underneath the bed terrified as the men swarmed the house and then I saw the most beautiful letters in the alphabet FBI in bold yellow on the backs of their jackets and I knew that I was safe and that my prayers had been answered an agent covered my nakedness with a coat and then cut the collar from my neck and took me from that evil house the FBI the ICAC they are my angels I like to say that they could walk on water, but they don't need to. Angels have wings. I had spent a lifetime in that house. A year after my rescue, the detective, Jim Moore, who had escorted the child that was me from that whore, drove me back to my house, back to the house. It sits on a friendly little street, quietly, cheerfully yellow. I walked up to the squeaky clean basement windows, the one that he had painted black so that no passerby could peer in and stop his little games. And I see toys a playroom, and I stumble. I cry inside. I mourn for that child that was me, the child that was stolen from me. And make no mistake, that child was murdered. I know that some parts of me are there forever. The child I was is still chained in that room, still suffering. And I am still trying to set her free, and others like me. This is why I am a psychology major and why my concentration is in forensic, forensics. 
My ultimate career goal is to become part of and work with the ICAC task forces to rescue the child and then help to recover its soul. Because even though I have been rescued, I fear that I will never be recovered. Please support Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz's bill and Senator Joseph Biden's companion bill, 1738. Support the children. Save us from pedophiles, the pornographers, the monsters. The boogeyman is real, and he lives on the net. He lived in my computer, and he lives in yours. And while you are sitting here, he's at home with your children. ICAC task forces all over this country are poised to capture him, to put him in that prison cell with the man who hurt me. They can do it. They want to do it. Don't you? Thank you. What courage she, mu- she had to give that testimony in front of all of those people at only 19 years old. It's truly, truly amazing. On top of all of the things I previously mentioned that she has accomplished, Alicia also recently became an airline ambassador, international human trafficking awareness trainer, and spokesperson which teaches airport personnel to recognize and report the signs of human trafficking. To say Alicia is an advocate is really an understatement, as she has and continues to do so much more. Her story is remarkable and harrowing, to say the least, and despite all she has endured, she turned out to be an amazing person. And I wanted to share her story for that reason alone, because in the face of adversity, she rose and said, I'm taking back my life. You are not going to ruin me. And that takes a very special person to be able to do that. And whenever we cover these cases, it always kind of is nostalgic in a way because it brings us back to our roots when we covered the Cleveland kidnappings, the kidnapping of Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina De Jesus. So it's always, you know, it holds a special place in my heart to share these kind of cases with you guys because number one, it, it gives hope for the families of missing children, missing loved ones, that no matter what happens, no matter how long it's been, your your loved one, your missing person can be recovered and recovered safely. But that is all I have for you guys today. Um, I know this was a heavy one, but it did have a very happy ending. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed that aspect of it at least. But thank you guys so much for listening and I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and we will catch you guys on Monday with a brand new case. Until then, keep it human. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.